When you're just getting started in a career, it can feel daunting with how much there is ahead of you to do. Yes, we have lots of time, but what's the best way to learn exactly? And what are the essential skills to get an idea off the ground? Well, if you're looking for a crash course on bringing an idea off the ground, whether that's a company, a side hustle, a project in your business, or a hobby, you've come to the right place. This is the interview to listen to. Our guest today is Eleanor Hagland. Eleanor is the founder and CEO of Alliance, that's Alliance with an S, the platform for connecting startup CEOs and investors. She's worked with many startups, raised funds, and won several competitions while building her companies, including the McGuinness Competition and the Columbia Lang Center Competition. She has also participated in programs including Stanford's Galvanizer Accelerator and Columbia's Greenhouse Program. She has a BA from Carnegie Mellon University and an MBA from Columbia Business School. Eleanor was a fascinating interview, and you're going to take away some really powerful nuggets today. First of all, you're going to learn how to pitch, whether you're pitching a company or yourself. Pitching is so important, and Eleanor breaks down the structure that you need. You're going to learn why Eleanor believes if you're getting an idea off the ground, it pays to build a team first and think about a problem second. Building a team allows you to have opposing perspectives, whereas thinking about a problem first can lead you to more problems. And finally, you're going to learn from how to draw from diverse experiences. Eleanor has integrated lessons from cooking, theater, and a Montessori education, to name a few, into her work. And there's ways that you can do the same by learning from her example. This is a great interview. I would love to hear what you think. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Bradbury underscore, or you can comment down below if you're on YouTube with your thoughts. Without further ado, please enjoy. Eleanor, welcome to Subject Matter. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. So I thought we could start with going back in time a little bit to your early education. And there was something that came up that I thought was super interesting, which is that you were educated at a Montessori school. Could you share for our listeners who don't know what is different about a Montessori education and then what kind of impact this left on you? I'm a big supporter of Montessori education. I feel like it's given me a ton in my personal life, in my professional life. But for those that, that haven't heard of Montessori or, or want to know a little bit more about it, it's a philosophy of raising and teaching children to help them. Bec- like You treat them like little adults. They, they learn things by doing. They learn from each other. They have choice in what they learn and what they don't learn and how they learn it. And for me, it, it helped me a lot by giving me autonomy and teaching me that I had control over my environment, which I think played out in so many different things that I've done since then. Like each each child is taught to create their own structure. You're not told this is the hour in which we do math. If you want to learn math and there's something about it that intrigues you, that interests you, you get at any point during the day to go find that thing that will teach you or find that person who knows more about math than you do and seek them out and learn that in, in your own time and in your own way. And that for me has carried throughout my entire career. 
And I think it's something that many adults learn in their early 20s, which is as soon as you get out of the college or university higher education system, that there are no rules around what you need to learn when. There's no one breathing down your neck to say, you have to learn this by this time. It's self-enforced. Mm -hmm. And so I think being able to have that as a young child must have meant that you're able to understand that the rules are very much in your control and that life is really what you make of it. So if you were educating adults then, mm -hmm. what do you think adult education can learn from Montessori? So if you're putting together a program, I know you've done work educating founders before, mm -hmm. what would be some of the elements that you'd pull from Montessori learning that help founders or rather adults, could be founders, but adults specifically learn? One of the big ones is to kind of seek out people who know more than you or who are more advanced in a certain area and ask them as many questions as they will tolerate because they're going to be the folks that that actually know what you're trying to do. And by forming relationships with them, you kind of create an ongoing dialogue. So that wisdom that they've acquired, they can kind of pass it down to you. And by choosing the topics that you're really interested in learning or growing in and then seeking them out, you kind of have that you make it a part of you. You're, you're saying, this is something that's important to me. I've sought out information. And now that whatever insight you've gleaned is so much more valuable to you because you know that you took the initiative and then brought it back home. So there's really an element of proactive learning yes. in there, not just having ideas spoon-fed to you, but going out and, and seeking them. So yeah. I think that's quite a counterintuitive way of approaching education, going out and seeking ideas. And yeah. I would imagine that's probably something that most people have to change their mind on. Were there any beliefs that you had to change your mind on in order to become the person that you are today? The big one that changed the way that I work, and specifically the way that I work in innovation and startups, is the belief was that you should be in your own bubble and work really hard in your own bubble and wait until something is perfect to get feedback on it because that, that has never served me. And it was one that I had to learn very early on to, to discard before it hurt me or my career. My current belief is that feedback is crucial. Um, one of the best things that you can do for yourself or for your, for your professional life, and that any feedback, positive, negative, constructive, will make your product, your company, yourself even better. So let's talk about feedback in a little bit more detail then. So if someone isn't getting regular feedback on their work in their career, what damage does that potentially do? I think it genuinely slows people down and it also creates missed opportunities where they, they just don't have to be. Most people can see you, your product, the market, what you're doing really clearly it's external to them. It's not, it's not their baby. They don't care as much about it. And so they, their feedback can help you by giving you so many different perspectives that you can then incorporate into your own strategies. And it, it prevents you from missing those, those opportunities where you, if you had just seen that one thing a few months earlier, um, a year earlier, you would have been 10 years ahead of where you are now. Who inspired you from an early age? I'm interested in kind of understanding who shaped your worldview and what were some of the lessons that they taught you? To kind of focus in on 
my two biggest influences, it would definitely be my mom, my dad. My dad taught me to stay calm under pressure and how to engage with other people so that everyone feels like they're contributing and moving forward positively. And I would say that my mom was a big contributor in terms of kind of building my own structure, making sure that I was always making space for the things that were really important to me and also how to work really hard. Um, my mom's a, a really hard worker and she she passed that on to me um, at a very young age. So you talked about this idea of positive engagement or learning how to make sure that people are contributing when you're in a group discussion. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that playbook. So if you're leading a meeting with your team, let's say, how do you facilitate that to make sure everyone's positively contributing? What I've learned um, from my dad and from personal experience is that the less you speak in a meeting like that, the better. Um, I think a lot of folks feel like if they're not doing something actively, then it's it's actually a problem. But what I've seen in group meetings where you want everyone to be contributing, asking a question and then just stepping back and letting hopefully the genius that's in the room, the, these incredible people that you've chosen to work with shine is the answer to nine out of 10 problems. Sometimes things will will get off the rails and then it's just another like pointed question or, or just a question that will get everyone back focusing on what everyone actually does care about will help. But truly just letting people shine is, is the way to go. I remember it strikes me as a, a story from Trillion Dollar Coach, mm-hmm. which is the story of Bill Campbell, the coach to some of Silicon Valley's biggest names. Yep. And he told a story where in the Google boardroom, there was a group of executives who were at the front ring of the table and then people sitting on the outside. And he realized that all the people, virtually all the people sitting outside were female and the people on the inner ring were male. And he stopped the meeting and he said, hang on a minute, look around you, what's going on here? The people who are speaking are all one gender. Let's swap the tables uh, or let's turn the tables. And so they swapped places and had the females sit on the inner ring and contribute to the discussion. And the discussion went in this totally other direction because men typically are much more solution progress oriented, whereas women are more empathetic, able to look at the emotional nuance of situations. And so it uncovered this whole other dynamic to the problem that they just hadn't been taking into account before. So powerful story, I think, illustrating what you're talking about. Yeah. Let's turn to what you're doing with Alliance now. And a big part of what you do is applying the educational element and mentoring some of the founders that you are working with. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had to give one piece of advice to a founder who is, let's say, just starting out, so they have an idea, they are pre-revenue, Maybe they have a co-founder, but they haven't made any big hires. What would be the one thing that you tell them or advise them to do? So if they've already started their business, I would say go to as many pitch competitions as they are physically capable of handling and pitch just mm. every every crowd that they can think of, because that is both going to get them that feedback that we talked about earlier, but it's also going to get them supporters, people who are interested in what they're doing, people who have questions that they want to ask that maybe investors will ask down the line. But I, I think that in those early stages, those pitch competitions are a really helpful tool. And if they haven't started 
if they don't have a co-founder maybe yet, I would say just try and make friends with as many people doing cool things as possible because those people are going to know people and that community is going to eventually you're going to build enough trust and and know enough people that they will become your your co-founders. What are the elements of a good pitch? I think this is so so important for everybody, not just pitching a company, but pitching yourself. Like now in a remote world, you can hop on a Zoom meeting or hop on a Riverside that we're using here and someone says tell me about yourself, you have 60 seconds or 3 minutes to blow their minds. How do you do that? Walk us through the elements of a good pitch. Yeah, I mean there are a ton of elements that will make a good pitch, but if if I was going to boil it down to two sound bites, I would say knowing your audience. So actually think about who you're talking to. Who are you pitching to? Cuz that is going to drastically change what you're saying and how you're saying it. Your message can stay consistent. It can stay true to to what you're actually trying to say, but know who you're talking to. And then I would say the second is is to tell a story. because we are we're human and stories are how we all communicate and so being able to to thread a narrative about what you're doing and why you're doing it or or why you've come to this place and how you've gotten there is going to help make it sticky help it resonate with the person that you're talking to what makes you say because we're human we communicate in stories why is that such a fundamental pillar of how we communicate It's always present, right? There's there's a problem, there's a solution, there's a resolution. There's the hero's journey. Like someone is going to get something and then coming back. It just feels like it's the seed at which you could boil everything down to. It just comes back to kind of the same stories that we all share. And I guess it's that mm. it's the fact that it's communal, the fact that it is shared and the fact that we can all kind of understand it that does make it resonate. the idea of the hero's journey and having a problem into a solution mm-hmm. into a resolution when you understand this cycle that people are going on you'll see that everyone from the rock to scarlett johansson to luke skywalker is using the same formula in hollywood yeah. because we love having a hero to root for that that shows that journey so bringing that back to what you do with alliance i think it seems important for founders to be able to and leaders in general to be able to highlight the problem that they are going through as a business or the problem they're solving and potentially also the problem they have overcome themselves mm-hmm. something i learned from a friend and mentor of mine rich keller is he says your story is your credibility and for me when i initially went out to start my agency astutely my story was baked into the agency which is the idea of being astute and that's my core value so seeing the things that most people miss and it's that that then validates me to or validates the approach to do things completely differently so for founders i wonder if there's a parallel to say here's the problem we're solving or here's the market we're going after but here's also my personal growth as a founder so you can see that the team behind this product is really solid Yeah. And I've seen that a lot both in my experience and and in the experience of other founders that I've seen pitch. I used to make this mistake when I was pitching like an Alzheimer's startup. I I started with the statistics of why Alzheimer's was so bad and who it was harming and how many people it was harming. And finally one of my mentors just stopped me and was like, "But why do you care?" And I was like, "Well, 
my grandmother had Alzheimer's, my grandfather had Parkinson's, and my great-grandmother had Alzheimer's. And I've seen firsthand how horrible it is to deal with these diseases. And she was like, that's it. That's how you start, because I'm much more interested in what you have to say now, because I know that you know the problem. I know that you care. Forget the statistics. Nobody cares about that. So the other side of this was community. So you said, learn how to pitch. And if you haven't got an idea yet, find other people who are building cool stuff because that compounds. Talk to me about why building this professional network or this community is such an important element. The reason is because you have a huge untapped resource in all of these all of your fellow co-founders, the folks that are raising one round ahead of you, even the folks that are raising one round behind you, and all of the people who have built companies um, before and and have sold companies who, who know the landscape. All of that insight, especially when it's recent, especially when it's someone who's, who's really close, uh, maybe a few years out, is going to provide you with the tools that you should be using, the people that you should be talking to. And you're going to relate to it because it, it it's current. It's not kind of 15 years, years outdated. And that will accelerate because then you won't be making the same mistakes that the person ahead of you made. You'll make your own mistakes for sure. And there will be a ton of them, but you're not going to duplicate or, or repeat the mistakes that you could have easily avoided and saved you money and time. Why is it advantageous to learn from people as opposed to, say, reading an article on, let's say, fundraising, how not to fundraise mistakes that I've learned versus talking to someone who's gone through it? What is the advantage of the person in that case? That's probably my personal uh, bias. I love to learn from people and their experiences. I also love to read, though. And so whatever your style is, however you like to receive that information, you should be learning it and seeking out that information. I think one of the reasons that I lean towards people is because I can meet them, I can talk to them, and then I can learn whether or not I, I trust where they're coming from. People show you who they are and where they come from, and then you can learn whether or not you can trust what they what they say and the insight or the advice that they give. You can do that with books, you can do that with articles, um, but just some articles are a little bit harder, especially online these days. There's so much content out there. One of my filters is that I, I try and talk to people directly about their own experience. Yeah, you're right. There, there is a lot of noise mm -hmm. and it can take time to build up the trust with the person. But when you have that trust, it may accelerate your learning because it's like talking to someone as a friend. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as well for you, do you separate personal and professional or do you view them in the same bucket? I see people as people. I don't often look at someone and say, you're a professional connection or you're a personal connection. Like to me, it's not like you are a friend and therefore you can't be in my business world or you're in the business world and so you can't be a friend. The way that I see relationships and relationships of all kinds is that everyone's trying to support each other. And whichever way you can do that, whether it's introing someone to a friend or introing someone to a professional connection, I'm going to make that connection every time because to me, there's there's not as much of a line there. I think it's important as well to not see people as a means to an end, mm -hmm. but rather to see them as the end in themselves. Yes. If you see someone as a goal, someone to learn from or a deal to make or whatever thing you want, then when that's accomplished, there's nowhere else to go. 
But if you see them as an end in and of themselves, mm -hmm. then you can keep showing up for that person and trust the process that your relationship is going to blossom from the time that you spend with each other, which is a much more productive, but also wholesome way, I think, to build relationships. Yeah, it's less transactional. It, it just, and it feels more authentic. I think that one of my core values is being authentic and, and truly trying to get to know someone, not because there's something that I could gain from them or even that they could gain from me, but just in the joy of building that relationship. Are there any questions which you come back to when you're just trying to get to know someone and be your authentic self? So you, you even asked one of them at the beginning of the interview, I, I really like to get to know people as they were when they were kids. What was it like when they were growing up? Who were they? What were they interested in? People get so wrapped up these days. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. My name is so-and-so. I do this. And to kind of break them out of that, it's nice to go back to where they were at their core, which was when they were with their family, when they were growing up, when they were experiencing the world for the first time. People just start sharing and they ask questions about you and you form this really genuine bond and everything else. It's like whatever, whatever you do for your job, maybe it came out of that joy, but maybe it didn't. And so it, it might be less core to, to who you are as a person. Something else I was curious about, and then we'll jump into our final segment. You've talked about before your love of food and cooking and love of theater. Yes. And these are, they're different arts, but I feel like they could be connected to what you do with Alliance and your work. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that comes up in what you've learned or you appreciate from being interested in theater and in cooking that has been brought over to your professional life? I, I would say that both things brought different, different learnings to my professional life. My love of cooking has very much taught from my mom and my grandmother, etc., but very much taught me to love experimenting and to not be afraid to make a mistake, to ruin a dish, to try something new because the stakes are really low, right? Like if you make a bad dish, okay, maybe you'll have to eat some bad food for that day. Maybe someone else will also have to eat some bad food, but at the end of the day, you get to make another dish. And so that's, that's kind of the joy in the experimenting and the allowing of, of that failure. And then I would say theater has given me so much personally and professionally, great friends from theater, but also the ability to stand in front of a crowd or stand in front of other people and mm. tell a story, to share something, to not be afraid that other people are judging you or thinking about like you or what you look like or how you're speaking or any of that, to just be like, this is me, I'm communicating something to you. I hope you're receiving that. And I'm trying to read the room to give you the type of thing that you're interested in right now. But that is so much of, of what you do as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, is trying to communicate with people and try to try to get them to receive a message that you're trying to communicate to them. We are constantly telling stories. And if you think about the last time you were really moved by something or you were influenced, there was probably a person at the center of it. And there was probably a journey that they were on, some kind of narrative. And that makes theater the perfect place to learn that. Exactly. I just wrapped up an eight-week improv comedy class oh, cool. a month or so ago. Yeah, it was it was great. And one of the people there, I asked, she's called Steph, and I said, Steph, why are you 
why did you join this? And she said, well, one of my friends at work came and said it gave her so much confidence. She said she felt more comfortable asserting herself, being herself, being able to communicate, tell stories, as you said, and I want that same thing too. So I think realizing that, to borrow a line from Shakespeare, all the world's a stage and we're always standing on stages, communicating to people and yeah, having that in your back pocket is such a such a cool thing. Yeah. So speaking of the unexpected and things you can't plan for, we like to call this segment Mistakes I've Made So You Don't Have To. And I'd love for you to share a mistake that you've made recently and the lesson that you learned. Does Maybe not recently, but a mistake that you've made that you can think of. And what was the lesson you learned so that others don't have to? My biggest mistake was early in my career and it was thinking that I should or could go the startup route alone. That was not true. And I I had to live that one to learn from it because everyone was always like, solo founders, no, no, no. And I didn't believe them. So I, I tried to start a startup by myself and it was very difficult. It's a very lonely, hard road to be on your own. And immediately when I started bringing in other people with different skill sets, um, opposing viewpoints, things just started moving at a much, much faster pace. And we were able to do a lot more together than I was able to do alone. So I would say huge advocate for building the team and then together choosing a problem that you're going after or even just kind of brainstorming which ones you're passionate about because choosing a problem and trying to bring in a team is a lot harder. Something you said that stuck out to me is to find people with opposing viewpoints as well. Don't just find people who think the same as you or have the same skill set or background as you. Create that tension intentionally because that's going to form a better product at the end. It's not a comfortable thing to do as as you're kind of pointing out, but it does it does make for a better result because if you believe that things will turn out a certain way, you either have to live through that and, and make it all the way to the end to realize you were wrong, or you can have other people say, in my experience or based on what I know or what I've learned, that's probably not the way we should go. And you'll save yourself a ton right. of time, ton of effort. I, I was in um, a group project once, it was my learning team in business school, and we were trying to accomplish a project. We were tired. It was the middle of the night. And I, I noticed that one of our one of our learning team members wasn't saying anything. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, why, why aren't you speaking? Like, what do you think? And <laughs> he, he was like, I think you're doing it all wrong. And I was like, OK, wow. that's good. Tell us why. <laughs> um, and so and we and we he was right. We were doing it wrong. And because we asked, we looked for that kind of opposing viewpoint. And he provided it and was willing to speak up. We finished it really quickly we, and we got to go to sleep. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so powerful being able to say to someone free of judgment, I don't think this is going to work or we should do this differently yep. and know that they they can hold the space for those kind of comments. Yeah. So last question for you, Alana, before we wrap up what's been a very enjoyable conversation if you could go back in time to the start of your professional journey and send one piece of media back, so that could be a podcast, that could be a book, that could be an article, any piece of media you like, what would you send and why? Personally, I would just send like a, a ton of, of my favorite books back, but I would probably send 
Steve Blank's uh, business model canvas back along with an explanation of, of how it works, because I think that would save me several years of time in learning the, the customer discovery process and having to, to kind of adjust the way that I was thinking to be customer focused and, and reaching out for that feedback. I think that that would be, that would be incredible. Since you did those hard reps of altering your perspective over those couple of years, what is different about your relationship to customers now as opposed to when you started? I think that at the beginning, I thought that they would be like when I was learning about businesses, I was like, customers are the people who pay for a product. And that's kind of where that ends. It's like it's it's very transactional. That's that's how it works. That's how you learn about it in business. But now I think customers are the biggest asset that a business can have, both because they're supporting the business, they're voting with their dollars, but also because they're providing you with insights about how they're using it, uh, why they're using it, when they're using it. And all of that information helps you make your product better. It helps make you, your business better and helps you serve serve the community that you're serving even better. So I, I would I would genuinely say that they are the biggest asset now. Great. Your customers are your biggest asset. I love that. Great soundbite. And we're going to wrap things up there. Eleanor, if people want to follow you online, want to keep up with your ideas, where can they go to keep up with your journey? Absolutely. They can come visit us at alliance.com. Um, welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. If there's any any way that I can help, um, name's Eleanor Hagland. And then you can also follow us on on social media uh, at Alliance Alliance CEO. And that's Alliance with an S. Just yes, so Alliance with an S. <laughs> Alliance with an S. Love it. Eleanor, thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want more insights to help you get ahead personally and professionally, make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our latest content. It makes a big difference in helping our content get discovered. And so I'd really appreciate it too. If you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, I'd love to hear them. You can drop us a comment on YouTube or message me directly on Twitter. My handle is at Ben Bradbury underscore. I'll see you next time.